0: morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive Podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. Thank you, lovely listener, as always, for tuning in. A little bit of a shout out to one of my colleagues, Ed, who's not on this podcast, but he says his partner listens in, and she says the only bit, he says the only bit that she likes about these podcasts is the stupid and wacky intro that I do. I don't have anything interesting, stupid, and wacky to talk about today, but what I do have is a very interesting interesting report that has been produced by the CIPD. And uh, I've got one of the members of the CIPD and uh, one of the team at CIPD who has written the report to join me because I read it and I thought this is something I want to quiz her on. She's been on the podcast before. It's Katie Jacobs. How are you doing, Katie? You all right?
1: I'm good, Chris. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me again. Like two years, two
0: years later <laughs> Two years later But it's lovely to have you on Ed is absolutely going to kill me Because he says he does listen to this And uh, I bet he won't share this with his partner Because he'll be like God He knows He'll say Oh she, she knows that, uh, that she talks about me So, uh, so that's fine Ed that one's for you. That intro's for you. But so, anyway, right, let's crack on. This report, um, CIPD report, the reason why I dropped you a note and said, Katie, I'd love to get you on the podcast. It's called The Value of People Ex- Expertise on Corporate Boards. is because it's quite interesting that we've been talking about, at Lace Partners, we talked about this Of sorts. In 2019, we did our HR on the offensive. You know, HR needs to step out of the shadows. It needs to be seen, if it wants to be seen as more strategic thinking, it needs to be dealing less in the operational and the transactional. We had COVID, we had the pandemic, all of that horrible sort of stuff. And then people emerged from it. And I think. HR's world and the world of the CPO and the CHRO had fundamentally changed because their remit had fundamentally expanded. And this really goes into that, doesn't that? So what I want you to do, if that's all right, before we get into any specifics on the report, if you can just give us a bit of an overview as to why you guys decided to write the report. Again, this is the value of people, expertise and corporate boards. And of course, we'll put a link to it in the show notes for those of you who want to listen in. But why did you guys write the report? And just give us sort of a one-minute helicopter view before we delved into the detail.
1: Sure and uh, hearing you say the name of the report so many times you're like we you should have given it a more catchy title but SEO <laughs> it's, SEO is going to SEO. So I think from kind of from my perspective as co-author and kind of as the driver behind the the topic area is something I've been personally interested in for a pretty long time. I've been kind of adjacent to this space and observing this space since about 2012, I think. And something that I've noticed is this kind of rising importance and interest in topics like ESG, though we used to call it something else, but now let's just use the term ESG, yep. kind of the rising importance of culture and the kind of narrative that's really developing around the importance, understanding the importance of people and culture and the value that is driven through that. And I think particularly around... so. I'm quite geeky about it. Back in kind of 2012, 2013, started looking into things like the, the corporate governance code, and I think the way that that is shifted, and the way that obviously all not all organisations have to comply, but I think it's a useful proxy to thinking about how organisations kind of behave in terms of governance, and the shift of that to be talking much more extensively about things like culture and about people, and now literally asking organisations to talk about how they manage their people and the value that is created through culture and how they're managing people-related risk. All of that just kind of seemed to me a really clear angle for HR directors to be seizing the kind of the opportunity. And you say that kind of HR on the offensive, but that opportunity to really influence and add a lot of value at the kind of highest level in business. And I think as the CIPD, obviously, we are there kind of as a voice of the profession. We want to be kind of championing the role of the profession at very very high levels in business and we're very keen to just kind of understand the state of play I guess right now and as you've kind of touched on the pandemic and it has been research done before looking at the composition of boards and kind of people expertise within that composition that hadn't been done for a few years so just quite keen to get a picture of that Also comparing it with other work we've done around things like extensive work that we've done on um, workforce supporting within the FTSE 100. Work we've done around the kind of role of REMCO and advising that that would kind of become more holistic and look at kind of people and culture rather than just remuneration. All of that, we just wanted to kind of take a temperature check, I guess, and talk to HR leaders, non-executive directors, and get a sense of how people expertise is valued whether it is at all. I think a lot of organisations talk a really good game, but yeah. kind of are they actually walking the walk? Um, and I think just as a kind of link to that, interestingly, pretty much every CPO I know, I know quite a few because I'm truly blessed to be- all want to move into this, they kind of all talk about wanting to go portfolio. That mm. is, seems to be the career path now. You have your corporate job, kind of you have your big chief people officer role, and at some point in your career, you decide that you want to become a non-executive director and take on a few of those and perhaps do a bit of advisory work. Whereas back about kind of 15 years ago, people used to talk about going into consultancy and becoming self-employed. Now they all want to come non-executive directors. And I just know that the supply of people wanting to do that really does outstrip the demand of hiring chairs for people with um, an HR background so just quite interested to look at that as well
0: yeah that is interesting now I don't know if you actually if the data showed this so apologies if I'm chucking you a curveball here but you said sort of 15 years ago that route into consultancy or independence and now it's more NED has that fl- did it, do you think a lot of that flip has changed pandemic post-pandemic or has it just been a gradual thing that's happening and the pandemic kind of just accelerated it a bit more
1: I think it was probably pre-pandemic. And I think if we take about the kind of demand versus supply, so come on back from that demand side of things, it was with the kind of the corporate governance code update. And don't test me when that was, but I think it was 2018. But when that got updated to talk about the, the importance of capturing employee voice and really talking about culture, that's when you saw, I think, boards perhaps become a little bit more open to, oh, God, I think we need somebody with a bit more HR expertise and that's probably where we saw a little bit of a spike in it and actually I did speak to some headhunters who confirmed that They said that when it was company that was where they saw kind of spike in it and to be honest now it's probably leveled out more because the problem it's not a problem just the fact is that boards you need a mix of skills right And you need a mix of different, whether it's professions or specialisms. And now there are so many challenges that we're facing. I think, you know, you need technology skills and you need people who are really on top of things like sustainability. And people and culture is just one part of that mix. But I guess the point that I'm interested in, and I think we're getting it through the report, is that there is almost a default focus on financial at the expense Mm. of everything else. And people is wrapped up in that everything else a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, and that's the interesting thing that comes through in the report. I thought, particularly on the within the first few pages of it, it talks about the investor side of it. And I thought that was really fascinating. You've got a few quotes from investors saying things like, uh, "You know, I've only recently grasped the the idea that the workforce is the company." And you're almost a bit—I'm sure HR people listening to this are going like, "What?" I mean, duh. This is something I'm sure as a profession been banged on about for a long time, but it feels like really in the last three, four years, that has sort of mushroomed in terms of that awareness. And the first question that came into my head when I was reading that, and it goes back to this finance piece, doesn't it? It's investors look at bottom line and finance and return on investment, bang for the buck, and they're saying, okay, will we dial it back up? How do we get that productivity, maximising productivity? It's through our people. Oh, hold on a second then. Surely we should have the person that's responsible for people strategy to be having that voice right at the top. My question, though, because I should really put a question to you rather than just giving you one whole monologue, (laughs) is actually I wonder how much of this is a bit of a chicken and an egg type thing. Like what came first? Was it investors have demanded this and so businesses have reacted? Or have some businesses just been Proactive because they've recognised this. What do you? What are your thoughts on that?
1: So I think it's both. So I think you're right, and it's probably an unanswerable question. I think definitely there is increased investor interest, and it's not just about that product. A lot of that productivity piece, a lot of that is driven through, I mean, particularly that kind of EDI agenda mm. and the the need for greater. Diversity and a lot, of organis- a lot of kind of investment organisations making pretty really bold statements on you know you need to have diversity on your board and your exco and, and making decisions based on that. CEOs obviously don't like to be look kind of unprepared or be caught out. So I think they probably only need to be asked a question once about people's strategy that they can't answer effectively to then go back to the chief people officer and be like, help. So we, we need to. I need to have a narrative on this or to even bring them into the call. I think we there's a quote in a report from a one hundred CPO kind of reflecting that, I think he said like five years ago or a few years ago, they were only brought into maybe three or four investor calls. And I think he counted that they'd had 27 in the last year because, of the recognition around things like EDI, around things like moving to a net zero economy. And all of that is to do with skills and all of that is to do with people, right? You're not going to be able to deliver that if it's not through the people. So I definitely think there is a greater awareness. Um, And I kind of think it doesn't really matter whether it's a push or a pull. What matters is the outcome. (laughs) So I wouldn't get too hung up on where it's coming from. It's more what happens next. And yeah, like I say, what the what kind of the outcome and the action is. But I guess definitely there are examples. And I think we've flagged a few of them, not in this report, but in other reports we've done around workforce reporting of companies that kind of do go above and beyond and are really exemplary. And I think they've been doing it for a really long time. And one example I think would be SSE. I remember writing an article a quite an extensive article back in kind of 2014-15 because they did a big exercise about really putting a value on the investment of people and trying to prove ROI around it so you're always going to have those organizations that have kind of gone one step further and I think what you want to see right is organizations more organizations choosing to put themselves out there choosing to be innovative and potentially take a little bit of a risk in the stuff that they're talking about and focusing on because then that drags everybody with you. But I don't think we need to get hung up on whether that's a push or a pull. What matters is that it happens.
0: Yeah. No, that's very, very true. One of the things that this is actually linked to the report. So apologies to the listener. If, and actually apologies to Katie, because I'm kind of jumping backwards and forwards into different parts of the report at the moment. That's I'm fine. Really I read it several months yeah. ago,
1: so <laughs> I can't remember what I wrote anyway. I have read it back. I just read it back. But, um,
0: a, a really interesting bit that you sort of talk about at the beginning. We've just done a blog at the time of recording. I'm not sure if it's out, but it talks about how the CPO has two different hats. He has, he or she has one hat, which is kind of like that operational, making sure that the business is is delivering on all of the things that you 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 have to do from a HR perspective. And then there's the other side, which is kind of owning like the – people experience almost and making sure that you're that voice at board level you kind of go into into this into in the report you talk about three different sort of distinct roles which kind of links to that so three hats three roles whatever you want to call it can you just for our listeners just give a your perspective CIPD perspective and I'll go through the three roles that you talk about so of course you talk about the report looks how people professionals interact with boards in three different roles as senior managers so people chief people officers HR directors advising the board, as executive directors on the board and as NEDs on the board. So I know we've kind of touched on that, but just so so that we're kind of clarity for those people that are maybe listening in for the first time or haven't read this, just talk about those three separate areas. And again, appreciate that we did talk about that, you know, the desire is to be NEDs and moving <laughs> forward.
1: Yeah, of course. So that, I guess that's kind of three areas in which you could interact and you couldn't do all three at once because you couldn't be an executive director and an executive director for the same organisation, or you could be in different organisations. So I guess, yeah, the three the three tiers of interaction, I guess. So the first one, yeah, as senior managers, chief people officers are obviously accountable for probably what is the largest spend in an organisation. It is people, it's usually people. So accountable for that, accountable for their function, but also, as we all know, Kind of listening to this, I would hope, and I know you guys at LACE talk about this a lot, the need for the chief people officer to take a strategic leadership role, not just within that function. And there are many, many quotes in this report about CPOs kind of reflecting that, you know, I'm not just a, i am the chief people officer, but I also do all this other stuff. I'm an executive in my own right. But linked to that executive being on the ex- Exco and being at that level, like I say, being able to contribute to debates and decisions And questions beyond HR, but kind of always, I guess, through the lens of people, but also bringing that kind of commercial expertise, that strategic accountability and strategic leadership. I think we found that only 2% of boards in the FTSE 350 have HR on them as a main board member, but I don't think it's worth getting hung up on that. And I think we're all quite bored of that debate about should HR be on the board or not, because ultimately there are only 2 Space is usually on the board for executive directors, and it's going to be the CEO and the CFO. I mean, mm-hmm. an argument about, you know, should HR be up there? But I don't think it's worth getting hung up on that. I think what's more interesting is thinking about that kind of non executive director position where HR directors, whether practicing or perhaps when they come out of a practicing role and into that kind of more portfolio space, get getting positions as Neds on kind of one or more companies and kind of bringing their HR expertise and their people expertise, but also all that other kind of strategic leadership and commercial expertise and acumen from all the other kind of other roles that they've held, but in that kind of non-executive position. So they are kind of three areas there. And I think in the re- report, we found that 20 only 25% of boards in the FTSE 350 sell quarter, which is an increase. So, I mean, that's to be mm. from last time it was looked at. So that's to be celebrated, I guess, that only 25% of boards in the FTSE 350 have any kind of HR representation whether as exec or non-exec. So anybody with kind of an HR background, anybody who has done a significant HR role.
0: So that's a shift, obviously, from how it's been previously. Do you see that trend slowly increase? So if we're having this conversation in five, six years' time, do you think that are you expecting to say that 60, 70, 80%, do you think if this is a the penny has dropped and it may be that other businesses are slowly catching up? Or do you think that'll kind of plateau?
1: I'd like to see it increase. I guess we would like to see it increase a bit. But I've come back to the point I made earlier in the conversation that ultimately you can only have so many people on a board and you can need to have a mix of skill sets. And I don't think and what we didn't, What I don't think the report does, I hope that people don't take from the report that we are binary saying, you must put an HR director on every board. We are not saying that. It's not appropriate for every organisation. What we're saying is, think about the skills mix of your board. And Mm. do you have, is it overly focused? Is it overly made up of people that come from my financial background? Or do you have a diverse mix of skills, people with a diverse mix of backgrounds, some of which might be bringing some kind of more people and culture expertise into the mix? But I think... It's an interesting question because I guess as the kind of the challenges that businesses face evolve, it is just going to ebb and flow the kind of skills that we need. And HR kind of had a very big, I think it had a big moment and a bit of a spike, said with the with the governance code. I think there is an understanding of the value of people in many organizations. But at the moment, I think technology is such a kind of major factor. I mean, we could have a whole other debate, a whole another podcast about the need to. <laughs> Take a human approach to technology and think about the kind of the human aspects of that. But ultimately, you know, you do need that kind of expertise as well. And this kind of knowledge around kind of sustainability and climate change and all this kind of things. As the, the challenges that we face as businesses evolve, so the skills mix needs to evolve. So I would like to see it increase. But I don't think it's ever going to be on a level with finance. I just can't see no. a point that we would get to that point. And obviously, finance, you know, it's lots of regulations around that and, you know, lots of risks attached to that that are very, very material. So, yes, yeah, so we do understand that. What I think is interesting, and I think I wanted to throw this in earlier in, in the conversation, is there have been a number of, like, quite high-profile cultural failings that we've seen in the news in, in recent months. And if you read some of those reports and the investigations – there have been like specific calls. So if I take the CBI as an example, in I don't know if you read that report, the Fox Williams report, but yeah. one of the recommendations is you need to have an HR director at board level, you need to have more influential, credible senior HR. Well, that's quite interesting. It's not the only mm. report of that nature that's come out that specifically called out the need to have that expertise at a level <laughs> at which it is kind of recognized and it has the credibility and the ability to really, really challenge. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think it is interesting that we are seeing public cases where if you kind of dig into the recommendations that are put in the report it is being called out as a potentially a contributing factor for some of the stuff that's gone wrong.
0: Yeah, and that's interesting because the more and more you get those types of reports, the more and more you get bodies, think tanks, like high profile entities making these kind of statements, the more you are going to get organisations, particularly large multinational organisations, sitting up and taking notice and having that conversation at the top level. I mean, this report, as we talked about already, talks about how... A lot of investors are driving this need for, you know, better people represent or representation of the workforce via the chief people officer. That's that's a really interesting bit in itself. You've got these types of government reports or things that are also helping to drive it. And one other thing that I thought about when reading this report, and I'd love to get your take on, is around the the people data and the analytics side, because certainly at LACE in the last couple of years. We've had more and more organisations come to us asking us about how they can get better in leveraging people data. Where w- what the what are the trigger points they need to be looking for? What are the kind of metrics that they should be using? And it's all part of evidencing, you know, this is the value that we're bringing, and and this is all linking back to productivity. So I do wonder about that and how some of that has potentially impacted this drive towards getting that that representation higher on the board. So I, I'd be really interested to get your views on that particularly from that 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 analytics angle that data angle
1: yeah so I think definitely there's a recognition and when we looked at workforce reporting you know there is more space in annual reports dedicated to workforce reporting than there kind of Mm -hmm. ever has been I guess the that's that's great because, you know, it's taking up space. The kind of caveat, I guess, is the quality of that reporting isn't always amazing. And I think when it comes to analytics, and actually, we did do a piece of work earlier this year that's particularly looking around people data and how it's used at leadership level. I think what we found through that was a lot of data is being collected, but it's not necessarily being interpreted. Not even interpreted, just not even analysed. Like there was quite a large discrepancy, I think, in that research between the amount of data that was collected and then data that was actually even looked at. So an absolute industry of just collecting and collecting and collecting data, which just sits there. People write reports. Those reports get sent somewhere. They aren't read. There's no kind of action taken. There's no interpretation. I think people data is an interesting one. If I reflect on cuz I say I've been writing about this and thinking about this for quite a long time and I think I remember speaking to an investor well, I do remember speaking to an investor probably about 8 years ago and asking about the difference between interrogating people data versus financial data and he said things financial data is as investors we can kind of model it backwards we can kind of unwrap it and we can work out how it has been manipulated and how perhaps it might not be telling us the whole story with people data we don't really know what we're looking at or what we're looking mm-hmm. for I guess is a is the question. And we've done in the kind of my time at CIPD quite a few roundtables and stakeholder engagement sessions with investors and with HR leaders and with other kind of business leader stakeholders. And investors are often saying they need, you know, we want more people data, but they aren't necessarily able to articulate what the valuable people data would be. So I think there's a little bit of a, a void here where and definitely this is a role, I think, for the people profession and for kind of HR leaders in particular is what is the what is the most valuable? It's no point just collecting loads and loads of stuff. How do you interpret that? And how do you flag um, different points at different times? Because businesses go through a rhythm, there's a cycle. So which bits are more important at certain times? And how do you kind of tell the story around that? And I think that is often the missing piece so for many organizations. I think the collection piece is there. I mean, a lot of organizations, as you said, don't even have like decent systems. So they're kind of falling at the first hurdle, which mm-hmm. obviously is an issue. And I'm sure you guys have talked about that a lot. Um, but this industry around collection, but perhaps not as much thought into analysis and not even getting to like the predictive stage of things, but even just being able to connect a lot of things together to tell a holistic story that brings in Mm. lots of data and and gets you to a narrative that makes sense. And I think that that is probably the kind of the missing piece in a lot of organisations.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because again we did a report earlier on this year around the sort of seven trends common trends around people analytics and one of the chapters in there one of the trends was get better at storytelling. And so really interesting that you've specifically referenced that. And we're doing a campaign at the moment at the time that the podcast is released which is all around being better at articulating your employee value proposition and the value of that to your business. And one of the bits that we talk about It is does HR need to be better at almost learning from the likes of marketing or finance in championing? So actually, and this is goes back to the point you just said, HR has the opportunity because there's a void of being able to say, we've got all of this data, this is and turning to investors and saying, this is what it means, and this is the impact that it's going to have, and this is why you need to care about it to help to educate them, perhaps. So perhaps there's certainly something in that.
1: Yeah, and being able to educate whether it's external stakeholders or internal stakeholders yeah. on the right questions to be asking, so not necessarily collecting stuff for the sake of collecting it because you've always collected it, but what do we need to collect at this moment in time that will mm-hmm. actually, like you say, help us to construct a, a coherent narrative? And If we come back to the kind of the reporting, the external reporting and through things like annual reports, I think it is the narrative that often is, is missing.
0: 100%. Let's do a quick fire fun one, which I just thought was uh, quite funny, particularly because I thought about it in a, as a marketing person in a marketing sense as well. Page 14 of the report talks about uh, everybody thinks they could do HR because they've managed some people or well, they've gone on to do a pay review. I read that and, and I thought that really does sort of strike, strike a chord in me because as a marketeer, it's like everyone thinks because they can send a tweet or can, can put, post a LinkedIn message, they know marketing. And I bet HR people have that same frustration around just because you've managed people just because you've done a pay review that doesn't mean you can set a people strategy so just give us some i just i wanted to flag that up because i found that amusing and uh i guess i i had some severe empathy towards the person that said that on uh, just get some thoughts from you and then uh, we'll probably get up to us a wrap-up because there's so many more questions i have but we're going to run out of time but i just wanted to shoehorn that one in quickly
1: absolutely so i think yeah that's really really lively quotes in there that people gave us i think there's one about being yeah an hr hobbyist there's somebody made the point that you know in their experience senior executives love to do the good stuff you know they like to hand out large bonuses and give people high performance grades but the second it becomes challenging they don't want to do it anymore or require some deep strategic thinking Um, and i think definitely there's a sense that as a as a leader obviously if you are at level at which you're able to sit on a board you are going to have managed a huge number of people and you're going to have managed a like a whole Kind of department or a function. But is that the same as having deep expertise in things like culture, in strategic workforce planning, in OD, in EDI? No, it's not. I think it's just kind of recognising that and separating that out. And linked to that, I think HR is probably one of the only professions where you can have somebody come in at CPO level that's never worked in HR. And it's often because mm-hmm. the CEO says, that, oh, they're just such a brilliant leader. They're just so good with people. And you can have them kind of parachuted into that role in a way you would not get You never have like an unqualified finance director. And that's not me saying everybody must be CIPD qualified. But if you've not even kind of worked in the function before, I think that that's a kind of denigrating of the professionalism that it takes to work work on this. And something else I want to raise, we did put this in the recommendations, is there are specific called out kind of specific wording within the Corporate Governance Code that says, if you're going to be an audit chair, you need to have recent and relevant financial experience. Otherwise, you're not able to chair an audit committee. That's fair enough. But if you're going to be a REM co-chair or if you're going to be a voice, kind of employee voice NED, which is a route a lot of organisations have gone down, then doesn't it kind of make sense that you would have some kind of people or HR experience and expertise? And I guess it's how can we get the profession seen on that just on a par for some of those things that are, they do require expertise and not everybody can do them and if you think about reward and rem especially i mean rem is obviously incredibly technical and it requires you know having that deep technical knowledge and a lot of that is very financially driven but Mm. it's also deeply behavioral and it's deeply political and a lot of that that comes from kind of years of people experience working at a kind of very senior level in understanding the politics understanding the dynamics that happen at that level and how kind of Pay is linked to motivation and how people kind of feel about them, how it impacts the psychological contract and all of this is a kind of that is an hr expertise so i mean yeah, that that probably was one of the kind of things that riled up some of the people we interviewed the,
0: yeah i can the, imagine the i can imagine. <laughs> So listen, we are almost out of time. I want to give you one kind of final sort of free swim question, which is to pick out any other bits that maybe we haven't talked about. This It's a really detailed report. It's a fascinating report. We've only scratched the surface on it. As I said, right at the top of the show, we will drop an, a, a link to the actual report so you can listening in. Oh, listening? Because you're doing that right now. Yes. You you read it. You read a report unless you want to get somebody to read it for you, record it and then verbalise it. That would be quite a difficult exercise, though. But I am waffling. Any final uh, sort of thoughts, Katie, in terms of bits that we might have missed that you just want to pick out for our listeners before we wrap up today?
1: So one bit that I found interesting, and this has come up in a few conversations I've had with CPOs, is since the need to report on employee voice and how you're kind of engaging with employees. So people are interesting. On the whole, this is a huge sweeping generalization. I think most people think people are more interesting than spreadsheets. I think most people would probably rather spend time with people. So what you've had is this kind of over-eagerness from some non-executive directors to kind of go out and, you know, I want to meet the people. I'm really taking this kind of need to report on culture and employee voice really, really seriously. And I've had a couple of HR directors refer to that as kind of the risk of death by anecdote. anecdote. Mm. So you go out into the business and you speak to a few people and Jim tells you this. And because Jim has this issue, that is an issue, therefore, that everybody has. And we must fix this. We must spend a lot of time on this. And that kind of one of the kind of the skills of HR is being kind of a little bit more analytical about some of the people's stuff and realizing that, you know, you need to kind of take a broader view and kind of understanding that. Um, and I just thought that was a really interesting point that some of the CPOs said, and this was particularly in the larger listed organizations. They're like, we're having to spend quite a lot of time kind of reining our nets in and mm-hmm. explaining to them what is appropriate and what's not appropriate, because obviously as a NED, um, it's, what is it, like hand, noses in, hands out. You're not meant to get involved with kind of general management. And actually it was kind of causing the CPOs a little bit of a headache to, <laughs> to get them to kind of to temper that eagerness, because obviously you want to channel it. It's really comes from a really good place and you want to channel yeah. it effectively. So I thought that was interesting. And I think the other one would be this sense that for quite a few board members, <laughs> EDI, they're quite, there's a kind of discomfort with the pace of change around EDI and the terminology that is appropriate to use and kind of social justice issues and the need for or a benefit that HR can bring or value that HR can add is to help those people kind of understand the shifting world of work and the different generations and all of that. So it's quite a lot of examples of CPOs kind of doing that training, kind of holding yeah. their hands through that.
0: Yeah, fascinating stuff. Really, really good. Of course, we don't want to pull out everything from the report because you guys at CIPD want people to read the PDF itself. Katie, it's been absolutely amazing having you on. Thank you very much for joining me and giving me the uh, benefit of your wisdom and thoughts as a result of this report.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: That's been lovely having you on. Um, of course, you can get any podcast that we do and also all of the uh, back catalogue of the various different bits of content that we put together on the Lace Partners website, lacepartners.co.uk forward slash insights. You can also do if, if you do forward slash podcast, you'll also get our full back catalogue and RSS feed on there as well. Search for us on any of the podcast platforms that you use and you will find HR on the offensive. Katie, where, just before as we wrap up, where can people find you? Because you are a social media guru on LinkedIn, but you're also on uh, Twitter as well well
1: are yeah i am on twitter although i feel it's like it's becoming a bit of a hellscape so I don't know well yeah it's, it's not twitter <laughs> well, anymore is no, but it? you mm-hmm. can find me on there at, at katie underscore jacobs or we must admit i'm a bit less active than i previously was i'm migrating slowly over to linkedin so you can find me on linkedin as well katie jacobs and through kind of i do a lot of writing and thinking and speaking about the kind of the role of hr and the world of work and specifically around kind of that senior level hr
0: top stuff many thanks again from myself and from katie we hope you enjoyed listening and we hope to catch you next time on the hr on the offensive podcast bye